some of what defiance is in the way that we do so it's uh, a joy to <laughs> so if you want to volunteer talk to Emily and she'll put you to work this is our last Sunday in these Psalms of Ascent and we had those two that were read for us today the first about sort of living in unity it's one statement and then it has two similes afterwards two examples of comparison and then the much shorter one that just seems to be this consummation this sort of blessing sort of psalm and saying um, they're both very fast um, but one of the things i wanted to do before we started is that this sunday is, is a weird in between sunday if you read the email that we send out each week this is sort of the last sunday of the church year um, and if you were, if we were using the lectionary, which I have a love-hate relationship with, um, we'll use it in Advent, which starts next Sunday. But um, there's this, uh, this is the reign of Christ Sunday. It's sort of 
in this middle spot of like when we move to Advent, we move our bodies and our minds and souls in theory, the Christmas season tends to take over, but in theory into this place of where we're both sort of becoming Jewish in our mindset and waiting the expectation of Emmanuel God with us. But Advent also has that dual meaning of we will rate the fulfillment, the return of Christ to establish the world back into its order and peace and goodness. So those are, so next Sunday, the, the first reading from the gospel for Advent every year is normally some sort of apocalyptic thing. And people go, I came for baby Jesus. I didn't come for a full-grown Jesus warning us about the end. And yet that's where Advent stands in those two poles. And then what happens, so that's the beginning of the church here next Sunday. And this Sunday is the, the time where we sort of try to frame ourselves, our minds, and our understanding in seeing and picturing as if that were true. That Christ's reign has been fully established. That Christ sort of sits in that place. It's sort of like if we start an expectation, we end in fulfillment. We end in that place. I think these two psalms are good readings for that because they speak of things that seem like fulfillment too, these last two. But that's sort of the way that the church here is journeyed and is shaped. And, and so this Sunday is one of those ones where it's like we... We move into the truth of what we think God is going to do in the end. We sort of say we've journeyed through, through all these things we've done um, from the birth to these epiphany revelations to this season of Lent, to this time of crucifixion and the glorious good news of Easter. And then we live in the amazing period called ordinary time, <laughs> um, which is it, it's, it's as long as the other time. And it gives the sense of which the time after Jesus raises until the time of his return, will feel like ordinary time. And this Sunday, we sort of try to frame ourselves in thinking, this will be fulfilled someday. Christ reigns. Christ is on the throne. Christ is the one who, who sort of will establish justice and peace on earth. And we sit in, in less anticipation than that, if we want to think about it this Sunday, but more in the belief that it will happen. Advent is, is more a season of anticipation. Um, so that's a bit about where we are, but, but this is um, sort of how we journey through the Psalms of Ascent. These are 15, they're not actually 15 steps, because I combined the ones in the way that we preached on them. So 124 and 125 are together, um, uh, 133 and 134 are at the end. Um, and one of the things that we talked about is how this, um, these Psalms are the Psalm of journey, the Psalm of movement, the Psalm of going to someplace, going to this place of Zion going to be near where God resides, going to the place where God has promised to be set up to these people. And so we, uh, this is our last Sunday on this, so we ascend ourselves, um, and, and we ascend as Christians more in our souls, in our bodies, to union with Christ. And what that means is as we move through those places, we are sort of um, pulled away, but brought further into what God is doing. We don't have pilgrimages today, although the church has had times where they, it's done pilgrimages, but um, that this is sort of our way of walking in these steps of moving forward into the place that God has called us to. And so, and, and as we, Augustine was one of the people who I sort of journeyed through this with, he talks about how we sort of purge our lesser loves and focus on our higher loves. And in that process, not only do we do that, we rightly order our loves in place. We rightly order our lives and souls. And so I had a note card. I still do, thank God. 
Um, this is a, 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 a funny side note. I preach from, from this book every Sunday, and this one started with the Creed series after Easter, and then Numbers, and then the Psalms of Ascent, but I ran out literally on the last Sunday. Like, there's nothing left. But what I loved about what happened is I wrote down the, the Aaron's blessing from the book of Numbers. That the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be kind and gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Is what I wrote down on the back here a long time ago. And it fits now with these blessing psalms at the end. I was like, well, at least I don't have to write that down again for this Sunday. It just kind of went full circle. Um, so that was a funny note, which is how I ended up with this card. Um, but these psalms, if you want to look at the way that we journeyed through them, this, that 120 sort of began in this place of repentance. The psalmist spoke of living in a world of lies. And so they set out to find the place where God was. They set out to go to the temple. 121 talks about this, this care for God's help. It says, you know, I look around and where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker, the Lord of heaven and earth. 122 was one of my favorite because it said, come, let us go to worship in an exciting way. And for many people, it's like, it's Sunday. Come, let us go to church. It's less, uh, and so we talked about what does it mean to gather in this journey with other pilgrims and to go in mass. Um, 123 was this one in which we looked at what does it mean to have our eyes towards God, in which we sort of hear and are fed and responded to from that place. 124 and 125 were the first ones we did together, and that was a time of crisis. The psalmist was remembering times where they were stuck in trouble and trials, and that God had helped them. That there was this, there's this way in which in this psalm, and last week was maybe a peak example of it, is that in many of the psalms are between this memory and this hope of what God is going to do. And I think that's one of the best ways to understand what faith means. Faith means we have a memory of something that God has done, and we have a hope that God is going to continue to act. So many of these psalms also contain the memory and hope part of it. 126 was my favorite psalm, and, and Merle said, other than the psalm on the parable of the wheat and the tares was the best sermon I've given. Um, but that's Merle's taste, so you have to judge whether that's fine or not. But that's my favorite psalm about this weeping in the world, um, that we weep and plant seeds and these seeds become something else that, that we sort of are, are planting as we go about in our weeping at the dysfunction. 127 and 128, um, the, the line that stood out to me, that's where we talked a little bit about what does it mean to be a non-anxious presence in the world, but one of the lines that stood out to me was that they toil for bread of anxiety, but God gives sleep to those who he loves. Um, continually, continually, my mind keeps coming back to God gives sleep to those who he loves. And what that means in a world of hurry and busyness and nonstop action and this, that, that like there are people who are anxious and just toil and toil just for bread that lasts a day. And yet God lets his people fall asleep, find rest and restore. Uh, 129, um, we found that what is wicked won't last in the world. It fades away, and that's part of our hope. 130 was the psalm of confession. As you get closer, one of the things I like to, to think about with that one is we get closer to ascending to the holy spot. At some point, it becomes apparent that we have to confess. 
It's like as you journey along to something beautiful, fulfilling, great, this, that, and the other, at some point along the way, I think it becomes like, I've done wrong too. I've done something that I can't sort of deal with. And so that psalm cries out of the depths for a God that will come and be near, which 131 sort of names that nearness. That's the one um, that I'm hoping people at Fayette are remembering to pray on Monday mornings. And if you have your own psalm you pray on Monday mornings, then stick with that one. But if you join and pray in that one, it, it's this one about um, how we find rest in God, that God is one who carries us and that we um, can wait and trust in him more than watchmen wait for the dawn. Um, and it puts us in, I think, a good spot to start our weeks. Uh, 132 was the history one. That might have been one of the harder ones, but, it, but what I think it proclaimed for us was that as this human journey to this temple has fallen apart, and it seems like God has reason to abandon us, God's faithfulness goes beyond that. We talked about how there's this if portion, if you do this, your son will sit on the throne forever. And then what God says in the end, also, forever this will be my place. It's God's choice and God's place. So as much as we do or try to do to cut the ties that bring us towards God, um, God still wins. God's goodness, God's election, God's favor, God's commitment to us goes deeper than our commitment to God. This has been one of, probably one of the core parts of my ministry as I talk to people um, is to say that, that God, when you say, look, I've come back, I've recommitted my life to the Lord, I want to get rebaptized, I want to do all these things, uh, sometimes, and you come from a place of faith before that, sometimes I want to remind people, God was faithful when you weren't. Like, you're thinking about it all from your side of the equation, but perhaps God was with you in those times, guiding and being near, and being one you could trust and go to. And it's God that's brought you back to this place. I think sometimes, I mean, this is maybe one of the bigger problems with modern Christianity in North America today, is we think we're interesting. Um, sometimes I just think we're not that interesting. Um, that God has that character of being interesting and being beyond, and of doing things there. But, uh, and it's a prayer of confession we prayed before, but it's, it, it does say that, oh God, we want our sins to be interesting, but they are so boring. Um, there's, there's rarely a new sin that's created. It's love, lust, anger, this, wrath. It's like, it's just we do the same thing over and over. But God in his creative faithfulness does other things. Which begins us to 133 and 134 for today. The first one begins with, How good and pleasant is it when God's people live in unity together? Now this is one of the best parts. Uh, does anybody have... Ruth, do you have a Bible? Park, you have one? Do you have behold or look in there? That's the first line, no? Does the first line end with an exclamation point? Yes. Yes. Ruth, same. Is there's, there's actually a Hebrew word that, that most translations aren't translating, which says it would be translated like behold or look. Um, look at how, um, uh, sorry, look at how good and pleasant it is when God people live in unity together. And I think we translate that, that first word as the exclamation point. Um, and because most of us read very flat, we miss the point of like, behold, look, God's people are not killing one another. Behold, look, they sit in unity together. 
Behold, God has brought a people together on this pilgrimage that might have had animosity between them before, might have had anger and dysfunction before them before, might not have known each other before, and yet they dwell in unity. If you've been a part of the church long enough, you would be like, yeah, we need like three exclamation points at the end of this line. But more along the lines of like, if you think about what God has made in the church and the world, Behold, look, God has made a people of different tribes, tongues, and nations, cultures, and places of, of different uh, allegiances in this, and they dwell together in unity in the church. This psalm begins with the miracle of what the church is, what the people of Israel are as they go to this place. It was a bizarre biographical background here is that I, in my last church me and the senior pastor had a difference of opinions hard to imagine, I know, I'm such an easygoing guy um, but one of the women on the team would always say, if we could just dwell in unity together, and I was like I don't think that psalm is that helpful in this context um, uh, because it was naming the problem well, but I think when you, when you really look at it, it's like that God has brought together these People and, and if you know, if you've read the Old Testament, if you've looked at Israel's history, they fight each other almost as much as they fight people on the outside. Now we're talking about the church again. Um, and that is this amazing truth that there, look, behold, people dwell together in unity. And so these pilgrim people who, who maybe some started from further away and some started from closer, as they descend up or ascend up to Jerusalem for these festivals, they found themselves eating and celebrating and being near and anticipating this arrival with people who they may not have thought to do that with. One of my favorite parts about when I have a true Sunday off is I get to go to another church that, I mean, I know many of you know this about me, but I actually really like love the church a little bit too much. Um, uh, it's not it's not helpful, maybe. Um, and so I love to go to another church, and yet almost every Sunday I have off, I wish I was here. Um, like it's I go and it's like that was good, that was nice, I learned something. Part of it is it's hard for me to go to church not in like learning mode, like, oh my God, what can I learn from this place and take away and do at our church and stuff like that. So pray for me the next time I have a Sunday off to be able to just go and go. But um, it's the miracle of what we have here. And, I, and I, my, my, my hope is that those people at whatever church I visited, when they go and visit a church, they love it and they feel great, but also they miss the people whom they've journeyed with. They miss the people of who they've been near to. I mean, it's a great thing to be able to go and to sit in another service and to be fed and this, that, and the other. And it's even greater afterwards to be like, I wish I was here with our people. I wish I was in our service together. And I think that's a testament of what God does in the church. I mean, it's not hard to say that there are bigger churches and louder churches and different churches and more liturgical churches and more this, and I visit them all. And yet somehow at the end of the day, it's like, I'd rather be here in this simple but beautiful sanctuary with these people whom we are beginning for some and have been journeying together with for a long time. 
Look at how God has called these people together. Look at what God has made in the world. And we get these two similes after that. Because it's the statement, the amazing part about this song is the statement is the whole point. Right? Look how good it is when God's people live together in unity. And then it uses two ways of saying that before it closes with a little bit of a benediction. But the first is, and the, and the Hebrew verb here shows up three times, um, this downward thing. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down. Running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Mount Hermon were falling on Zion. There's this notion in which these things fall down on us. That God is, is pouring out this oil onto us, that this dew is descending onto us. And both of these are good things. Now, Park read for us this portion from Leviticus. Um, and it talks about when Moses anointed Aaron um, to be sort of the priest. And one of the amazing things about when you think about this oil coming down, this oil flowing down from Aaron's head, down to his beard, down to his collar, is on his chest would have been worn stones that represent the twelve tribes of Israel. God overflows in his anointing of Aaron, that it doesn't just stop at Aaron. It goes down his face, down his beard, and goes over the people that he has called. That God has anointed all in this act. That this oil is this sort of extravagant act. Now, I have a, I meant to grab an oil, anointing oil in my office, but if I were to dump it on anybody's head, it might get down their clothes, but I don't think it would be the image we're looking at. And I think even today, there's this, there's this idea of that oil exists in some sort of use sparingly place, except for on the cooking channel. It's always more and more uh, extra virgin olive oil. But except for there, oil exists in sort of this use sparingly place. There's something treasuring about it. It smells good. It works well. And yet what this psalm proclaims for us is this overwhelming sort of pouring out. It's one thing that brought me back to this, um, this image of, this is just my mind went here, that's how many bottles of wine Jesus makes at the wedding at Cana. Uh, they've been drinking all day. They ran out of wine. Jesus' solution is to make 600 more bottles of fine wine. That our God is extravagant is something that we should just know in our core. It's something that happens over and over again. That God doesn't just give a little, but is abundant in ways beyond what we can think. The next image of, of this dew falling down on Mount Hermon um, and, why, and, and it is as if the dew of Mount Hermon were falling on Zion. It's almost like, now, now Mount Hermon is, um, look this up, I think 119 miles away from Jerusalem. Um, and if you look it up, apparently they have a ski resort, which I was fascinated by, that there's a ski resort in Israel. I don't think it's actually in Israel, it's kind of in Lebanon. Anyways, it's about 119 miles away. And almost what the psalm is saying, if you read it, is, is this idea of which this dew is falling so much on Mount Hermon, it's running towards Jerusalem. It's overflowing in that. It's not just a little bit of dew that's fallen, but, but dew that falls and flows into Jerusalem 119 miles away. 
that God is sort of filling in this place. And, and this view, if, if any, Mount Hermon is about 9,000 feet. Has anybody camped like and been like, I don't need to put up a tent tonight at around, I don't know, six to 10,000 feet. And if you go to bed and it's fine and you wake up and you're drenched like in water, that happens. It happens at times. It's happened to me more than I'd like to admit because I don't sleep outside enough that it never occurs to me that the dew could come like in what it seems like gallons. Like you wake up in the morning and you go, did it rain last night? Um, and it didn't. It's just that there was so much of it. And I think that's what we see in the psalm, but this is something that's good in a different way for them because when it doesn't rain, it helps carry over in this time for their fruit, for their for their gardens, for other stuff, that the dew actually creates something of meaning and goodness. It's not just like when I wake up camping and it's a little damp, but it's something that gives life too. It's something that goes beyond that. And so this then says, um, for their Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. In the ancient Near East Jewish imagination, there's a sense in which um, eternal life is what we would call it as Christians, is actually the, the fulfillment of our lives forevermore. Um, and I think we, we have a sort of bad understanding of eternal life at times, because eternal life is not just um, when I die, go to heaven, but it's this life everlasting. Life forevermore, eternal life, I think has this idea of, I gotta get my two Q words right. It's as much about quality as it is about quantity. I think sometimes when we think of eternal life, we only think of, of quantity. It just goes on and on and on. But the eternal kind of life Jesus is talking about, and this life forevermore I think that the psalmist is talking about, is actually a quality of a different kind of life. It's one who knows who God is. It's one who knows what life has done, what God has done, and what God has been for us. It one is one that sees and knows the bestowed blessings of God upon us, even life forevermore something deeper, something beyond that. And this is what I think Jesus is talking about in John's Gospel often, is this life forevermore, this, this life that goes on and on, but in a deeper way, in a deeper fullness, in a deeper truth. Which brings us to our last psalm, in the Psalms of this night. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. Praise, in my translation that I was reading, is the same word bless. So bless, bless, the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. And this psalm, while short, I think is, is full of meaning in ways that, that sort of Describe something else that's going on here. The one thing that there are two things that I want to say about this psalm, then we'll wrap up. The first is uh, there's a book that says titled "The God Who Stands, Stoops, and Stays." It's by C.F. Henry, um, not a theologian. I would read, but somebody else talked about it this week. The God who stands, stoops, and stays. 
One of the things we've learned from this journey so far in the Psalm of Ascents, but the thing that we know about the character of God from these is that God is a God who stands. God is a stand who God is a God who's firm. I look to the mountains, the place of firmness, what seems like it cannot be shaken, and what do I find? That God is stronger and firmer than that. There is a God who stands in this sort of permanence and faithfulness and providence and deepness that this God is not shaken or blown about the same way that everything else is. This bless, 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 is, it, it sets up, and now these two points are merging together, so, uh, and that's what I think I meant to do. Uh, the, the, the God who stoops. God in this psalm, we bless God. Barak. Uh, Barak. And then God does it to us. Now the, the actual sort of etymology of the Hebrew word suggests this kneeling. We kneel to God by praising him. We kneel and submit to God by blessing him. God bras us. God praises, blesses us. There's this, um, in God's stooping, um, in God's coming near to us, and we see this most clearly in Jesus Christ, we see um, uh, that God is not content to just be this unmoved God that sits miles and miles away. I think that God stands to many of us. In the ancient world, the fact that your God stands and is permanent and has foundation would have been somewhat shocking because most of the gods in that world have more anger, more fluctuation, more did we do enough, did we do, that our God is faithful might have something there. But I think for us in the modern world that God comes near to humanity. And I, that when I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking that the Gospel of John captures this in the most interesting way. And it's, many people would say it's the Gospel with the highest Christology, the highest understanding who Jesus is is in the Gospel of John. And what John says is that the one who is the Word, who was there at the beginning, who is the light of the world, um, the one whom all things were made, the one who um, comes to us at the end of his gospel, he kneels and washes the feet of his disciples. We're in a different gospel. God is the one who makes mud and rubs it on the eyes of the blind so that they can see. God stoops, I think, is the real sort of controversial thing today. That God can stand is one thing, but that God comes near to us. That we turn and bless God twice, and then God comes near to us, and like I said, as Christians, we see this most clearly in what Jesus Christ does for us. That God comes near and is blessing us, is what this proclaims. And the last is that God stays. That God is faithful even when we were not, which we talked about last week. That God is sort of faithful to us in the places in which we are. But this God is a God in this final psalm, is one who blesses us, one who comes near to us, one who touches us. And so this final word, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth, is a sending word too. You've made it to this place, yet you have to go home. And what do the priests say they think? 
May the Lord continually bless you from this place. May the Lord be with you as you go from this place. May the Lord do this, for he is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the one who resides in this particular place, in the psalm of Zion, for the Christian in the body of Jesus Christ. And he is the one as we go out. And this is, I think, connecting back to that previous psalm. The church is gathered together. Look, it's amazing. This second psalm actually begins that way, too. It's, that's why there's an ex exclamation point at the end. Look, praise the Lord, you people, and the servants of the Lord who minister at night in the house of the Lord. Lift your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. That this God who resides in this specific place is one who also goes out with you. As we've come together, look, the people are gathered here. This is why our, our service, in theory, goes from this moment of sort of gathering and ends in this time of sending. Um, there was a Christian resource not long ago that said, you gather and then you're scattered, which is nice because it rhymes, but it's wrong because it's not true. Um, we don't scatter. We go as sent ones from this place. We're not ones who are struck and run away and then have to come back together. But then we're brought into the rhythms of a God who comes and gathers us together, meets us at the table, meets us in singing, um, comes near to us at this place, and then sends us back out into the world. And in that sending, calls forth blessing from that place again. This blessing that goes out with us because we know that God is the maker of heaven and earth. It doesn't have to reside in the one spot, but can go with us out. So may we pray. God created heaven and earth. This Sunday we come into your sanctuary. We hear of the blessing you have for your people. The nearness that comes from you. We are blessed to have been able to make it to here this Sunday and every Sunday. Look for the people of the Lord are gathering together in unity. May we receive blessing here for the kind of life you've called us into. May from here we go forth knowing that we've met the living God will come and set things right. Will renew us again. So we pray together. Oh God, you have made indeed all that is. And bless your people in the name of your voice. We lift our hands.